Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I can actually do a spot on Chewbacca. I'm Trisha Bobita. I'm Greta Johnson. And this is the Nerdette Podcast. Okay, we have to talk about the literary news that broke over the weekend. That J.K. Rowling is a sneaky sneak and is even more awesome than we thought. Which I didn't think was possible. Turns out a crime novel that came out this spring, The Cuckoo's Calling, was written by the Harry Potter author under a pen name. And it earned rave reviews from readers and critics. And none of them knew it was written by a fancy, famous writer. So it got judged just on its own merits. It's brilliant. Totally brilliant. I love that she did this. And until the snow falls... Which here in Chicago could be any minute... We're going to keep asking about what you're reading this summer. And, of course, we've got some fun homework for you to do, too. But Greta, isn't fun homework redundant? And here we are. We'll also hear from a Nerdette listener about the do's and don'ts of urban foraging. And that conversation inspired Rebecca Polson to create an urban foraging cocktail. So when I think of a foraging-themed cocktail, I think of something with a lot of pine needles and probably some dirt. Tell me this is still delicious. Oh, it is. Scout's honor. Eden Robbins is a Nerdette listener who lives in Chicago. She's an avid urban forager. And I was into this because, you know, I'm on a budget and I'm tired of paying 10 bucks for a salad. So just to be clear... Urban foraging is not dumpster diving. It may be a cousin of freeganism. Freeganism? You know, when people take barely expired food out of dumpsters behind really fancy grocery stores. Oh, right, and mooch off their friends. I gotta say, coming from Alaska, I totally get foraging for wild edible plants, but in Chicago? Turns out there's plenty of stuff to scrounge up even in cities, but you have to be a bit of a plant nerd. And that's where Eden comes in. So I first want to ask you a little bit off-topic about one of the things you mentioned in your email, which is an award you won. Right. Can you tell me about this award? I can. You know, this isn't something I like to spread around, but it's, you know, maybe it's time. When I was a senior in high school in Palatine, Illinois, I won the state championship for radio speaking, which is a speech team or forensics event. For whatever reason, I was really good at this. And there is another famous Chicagoan, not that I'm not a famous Chicagoan, but a famous Chicagoan, Roger Ebert, won the very same award in, I believe, like 1958. That's good company. Thank you. I think so. I was a pretty ambitious 17-year-old. I've, I've since lost that ambition. But at the time, waking up at six in the morning on a Saturday in high school was like about as good as it got. Those speech competitions are so intense. It's a whole world. I've done some judging at those and, you know, you're walking down a hallway and there's a lot of kids talking really furiously into the lockers on either side of you because they're practicing as fast as they can. Oh, it was super intense. People were really, really intense about it. Well, we brought you here today not to talk about radio speaking, but we can tell that you have not. uh, It's like riding a bike. (laughs) You haven't lost your touch. But it sounds like you have a bit of a talent that's useful in an urban environment. 
you know, it's a strange thing, but you can find a lot of edible foods in cities. And when I found this out, I was like, wait, hold the phone. I can just pick things off trees and eat them. And it's true. There's berries, there's edible weeds, there are roots, all kinds of stuff, different seasons, you find different things and you can eat them raw or cooked or whatever. And so this is probably a good time of year for this, right? This is an excellent time of year, particularly for berries. Cherry trees are in bloom. Uh, There's a great summer berry called June berries. The season just ended for those, but they're delicious. They're kind of like a a blueberry-ish hybrid apple kind of tasting thing. When I first moved to Chicago in 2006, I worked for the Nature Museum teaching high school students. And one of the big things that we did at the Nature Museum was teaching kids about the native plants and animals of Illinois. So I learned a lot about plants then. There were a lot of really knowledgeable people there. And then uh, I learned a couple things from books. And then I actually found a woman in Chicago who leads urban foraging tours. You grew up in the suburbs of yep. Palatine? Yep. Yeah, we didn't. We weren't really an outdoorsy kind of family at that time. Um, but it was something I was always interested in. So once I was on my own, I kind of looked for ways to do outdoorsy urban foraging. I also do some gardening and farming kind of stuff now, too. What's the most delicious thing you think that you can pick? You know, I'm really partial to Juneberries. They look like little blueberries. They have kind of an almondy taste, which I actually just found out is because they've got um, trace amounts of, um, of what is it, cyanide? Oh, good. The- <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're not going to kill you. You have to eat like 10 pounds of them for it to do anything bad. But it, it tastes really delicious. It's not cyanide. Arsenic, I think. Anyway, whatever. Also something terrifying. Something bad, but it's not going <laughs> to do anything to you. So, oh, one other thing that I found, do you know those big plants with the huge leaves? It's called burdock, and you can dig up the roots and eat the roots. I found those same roots at Whole Foods for about $6 a pound. I mean, it's not great tasting, but they're they're decent if you like roots. What are some of the other do's and don'ts, maybe things to watch out for, for a beginner in this world? Yes, absolutely. Well, I should preface this by saying I am just an amateur myself. I just kind of like to do this for fun. I am no expert. One of the best things you can do is just find like one or two things that you are absolutely 100% positive you know what they are. Even 95% positive isn't good enough. You really need to be sure because it's like it's like the world is this giant all-you-can-eat buffet, but like half of the dinner rolls will kill you kind of thing. Sure. You know, so <laughs> be really careful about that. Um, there are some great websites where they have pictures and, and descriptions and very thorough descriptions of what you can and can't eat. There's a guy called Wildman Steve Brill. He's got a website, also got an app I just saw today. It's also probably a good idea to ask people's permission if you're going into their yards. I like to stick with parks and places that are public, although sometimes if, you know, if there's something sort of leaning onto the sidewalk, I might just pick it and move along and not ask. But it's a good idea to ask permission. That's another do. The things that you're talking about foraging aren't things that someone has obviously intentionally cultivated. You can tell when something's a garden and when it's growing wild. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, like, I wouldn't just grab somebody's tomatoes, you know. But a lot of people use juneberry trees for ornamentation and don't know that they're edible. In fact, people walk by me a lot and they're always like, are those poisonous? You know, like I would be picking poisonous berries. Something else is if you are foraging in the city, especially an industrial city like Chicago, we don't know what used to be in the ground. So a lot of times there's heavy metals and things like that exhaust fumes. So just be aware of what you're picking. Some plants absorb heavy metals more than others. You do find a lot of really good stuff in disturbed areas like railroad areas. Sure, um, sort of abandoned railway yeah, tracks. And yeah, some, like some that. kind of good stuff grows there. But just be aware it might have stuff you don't want in your body. So This is not certified organic. <laughs> no, no, not by any <laughs> means. No. But it's certainly affordable. Yes, it is. And that's one of the pros of it.
have you ever had friends come over to dinner and eat something and ask you before they pick up their fork? How much of this came from the street? <laughs> they don't they don't ask, but they probably should. My friends are usually pretty good. There was one episode where I had picked some berries and brought them into an office where I was working and offered them to everybody. And then they said, where did you get these? And I said, out of the parking lot. And then I became known <laughs> as the parking lot berry lady. And there was, you know, there was some some argument over that. That used to be how we all got all our food, right? True. Not the parking lot. <laughs> well, the parking lot wasn't there, but that tree might have been. That's true. That's very true. Yeah. I think you said maybe that mushrooms are a sticky situation yeah, for you. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Mushrooms Mushrooms are tough. They're kind of a no-no for me because I don't trust myself to know, and there's plenty of other stuff. That's one thing that I wouldn't just go off of the internet. There are plenty of experts and people you can talk to. There are meetups in Chicago that they'll take you around, and I'm sure in other cities as well, and show you what's edible and what's not. And some of it's just greens, right? Absolutely. Dandelions, for example, in the early spring when they're tender before they get all like harsh and thorny. Those are great. There's a great little trick. Anything in the mint family has a square stem. If you stick your fingers in there and you feel that it has edges, then it's probably the mint family. And things that are in the mint family are usually edible. That includes catnip, things like that. There's wild spinach, also called lamb's quarters. That is everywhere. It's a weed that grows everywhere. It tastes really good. It's funny. People are really weird to you. I find a lot of really frightened mothers who just kind of gather their children to them and run along. Do you run across other foragers in certain spots in certain parks then give them sort of a nod? You know, I haven't really seen too many. I do see the results. You know, if I see some berries have already been picked or, um, you know, things like that, I can be like, ah, either either this was birds or somebody was here before me. Somebody somebody knows my spots because you find your little treasure trove spots and then you kind of I don't tell anybody about them I'm a little secretive about it so it's like somebody knows this place I grew up in Michigan and in our family sort of my extended family there were morel hunting spots that people pass from generation to generation and they will not tell you where they are unless you're ready to go there with them and it's a very important moment in someone's life when they're sort of trusted with the information about where the morel mushrooms are Yes, I can imagine. I would I would love to get an in on the morel mushrooms. <laughs> I kind of try and find them, but I've never really seen them around the city. I'm not super good at mushroom hunting, like I said. And is the process of searching for these things just enjoyable even if you come away with only a few berries? Is the walk in the park part of it for you too? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's also, I mean, I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to plant identification. So the more plants, even if they're not edible, that I can find and identify that I'm kind of like, yes. I know what this is. So yeah, and I love being outside. And even if I don't find the berries, you know, I go by, I take a little tour around to my spots. And if things aren't ripe yet, you know, I'll just kind of enjoy the outdoors and then come back another time. I was dismayed to find, I do have a couple of um, sour cherry trees that I know of. And this year, somebody cut one of them down and I was totally devastated. It was replaced with um, like one of those dog accessory stores, you know, like, oh no, I know. (laughs) It's like, we don't don't need another one of these. Oh no. (laughs) What is something that you could make that would come completely from outdoors? Right. Well, I would pick some of my favorite things and the things that are easiest to find. Maybe um, some lamb's quarters, wild spinach, june berries, the um, sour cherries, mulberries, In fact, I like to make desserts out of those three berries. That's just a side note. What else? There is a plant called Queen Anne's Lace. Have you heard Mm -hmm. of this? Yeah, Yeah. it's got like the little flowers on on top. This is actually kind of a a warning plant that people probably shouldn't get right away because it has a poisonous lookalike that is uh, hemlock. Right. Right. Sure. Sure. But uh, Queen Anne's Lace is also known as wild carrot because you can dig up the root and it's 
a carrot. It smells like a carrot. It looks like a carrot. And uh, it tastes like a carrot. And you can add that to your salad as well. That sounds delicious. Mm-hmm. And so healthy as long as you're not near a industrial waste site. So maybe, you know, there's actually, I'll give this tip to our listeners. There's an app called Sightgeist that will tell you a whole lot of things about wherever you are. So it pulls in census data and all kinds of data based on your location. You know, what's the average age and the average home price. But it also, if you're near a EPA warning location, green slime will come down the screen of your phone and it will warn you that you are in a place where perhaps maybe don't eat root vegetables. I'm going to have to get that. That sounds great. for urban foragers. Perfect. Yeah. Don't be scared. It's a great thing. You can feel really connected to the place that you live. Thanks to Eden for that sage wisdom. Get it? Oh, I'll see your planned pun. And raise it. Do you like apples? Yeah. Well, I got a number. How do you like them apples? (laughs) We should also point out that Eden came to us with this idea. She saw our call for contributors on our website and jumped on the Nerd App bandwagon. Which is totally awesome. The more nerds, the merrier is our motto. Really? Is that our motto? I always thought it was A, B, C. A, always, B, B, C, closing. Always be closing. Always be closing. Or maybe... There's always money in the banana stand. And then there's the most important... Hakuna Matata! Let's just stick with do your homework. Remember, only you can prevent forest fires. That's enough, Trisha. Anyway, we loved Eden's pitch to teach us some do's and don'ts of urban foraging. And we want all you listeners out there to tell us what you're nerding out about, too. You can head to nerdatpodcast.com to get in touch. WBEZ's morning producer, Lauren Chuljin, has some great books on her reading list this summer. Some old, some new. All that we thought you'd like to. The first book that I was going to talk to you guys about is a classic, The Sun Also Rises by Ernest Hemingway. I started rereading that because I'm doing some reporting on it. But I also, I had read it, I was a senior at the time, and it was for a class. And I read A Movable Feast as well and liked that so much more as like a young writer. And But then I, I just didn't really like this one. And then had heard a lot from other people about how actually The Sun Also Rises was supposed to be the better book. And thought maybe I should give it another chance. And apparently he wrote some of that in his mid-20s. So then I thought, well, geez, I should probably read it, you know, when I'm in my mid-20s and see if that changed. That is pretty cool. Yeah, it was. A, I'm, I'm done with it now. Have you guys read it recently? I haven't since high school. you got to sell me on why I should reread it because I didn't love it in high school. Yeah, no, I, I didn't love it at first either, like I said. And I think actually now rereading it was a good thing. They're, you know, in their 20s and I think – you know, it was a different time, obviously. And when you look at it as Ernest Hemingway as a writer, but you also look at it as a story of some 20-somethings kind of figuring it out and trying to be artists and trying to live their lives to the fullest. And so, yeah, I would sell it on you in the way that, like, you're 25 right now. You know, it might be a good read for you to see those literary characters, like, living up and boozing their way through their 20s. And, you know, it might be worth it. Another read. Very right. cool. So what else is on your list? Well, this one is actually really exciting. So this is for my book club, but I've just loved and loved and loved every minute of it. It's called Mr. Penumbra's 24-Hour yes! Books, where you read it? Yes, it's on my list for summer reading. It's so good. I read it over the spring, and I loved it so much that, like, I've been trying I mean, to get people to read this book. I am awesome. so glad, Greta. I had no idea. And it, it just like makes me light up. And in fact, I saw my friends yesterday who one of them's in the book club and she said, oh, this other girl in our book club hated it. And I was what? like, what? How could you ever? Um, it's 
It's great. Trisha, it's about this guy, Clay, and he loses his job. He lives in San Francisco. He was at a startup. He did like all sorts of graphics and design and coding work for them. And, you know, he's just kind of down and out and he finds he goes just finds this bookstore that he's never seen before you already are hooked him know it and you he goes in pretty much yep floor to ceiling books floor to ceiling and it's really old there's like maybe a few books that are new but it's kind of dark and it's called Mr. Penumbra's 24-hour bookstore and he oh. sees a little card that says that they're hiring and the guy, the question the guys the guy asked him is what what is it what book do you seek in these shelves yeah, or something I mean, it might even just be what do you seek what do you seek oh, in the, something like that yeah, and it it's, just it's beautiful so the writing is very conversational which i love and also at first you're like okay where can this go from here like he got this job at a bookstore blah 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 it's going to be like some you know back to the old days type no 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 there's a crazy adventure that just unravels so quickly that you find yourself, or I found myself, walking down Damon, reading yes. it like a little kid, <laughs> walking down the street to my apartment. Trying not to trip. Trying not to trip. And it's just it's just magic. It's supposed to be San Francisco of now. So Google plays a huge role. And um, he, he starts dating this girl that is very into working there. And they use the technology of Google to solve the mystery that it winds into the adventure. I don't want to ruin any of it for you no spoilers but i am reading this. yeah it's it's really fun and i love too there are a couple different layers of storytelling happening too there's him with the books and then there's sort of the story of the books and then there's this other story that he's been obsessed with since he was a little kid that involves this fantasy series so it's just really fun to navigate the whole thing it's a really good ride like start to finish like there's a great passage that i was just thinking about that they he writes robin is the author and, and there's this one passage that I was just thinking back to about when when you mentioned that book that hit was from his childhood. He describes his really good friend Neil, and Neil and him became friends because of this book that they both read. And Neil was a huge nerd. And there's a sentence about how you know to to everyone else Neil will be Neil the CEO or Neil the boss or Neil the genius or Neil the designer, but he'll always be to me Neil the sixth grader who loved this book. Yeah. And and that just to me is just I just love sentences that are just so true to form like. You know, I'm a sentence geek, but that whole passage just was so it just so fits with how I think of my friends, you know. Well, and at our age, you know, you you catch up with someone after having maybe not talked to him since high school or, or since undergrad or something like that. And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm now in charge of this thing. And you go, what? Right. Last time I saw you, you were stealing like cake out of the trash. <laughs> and now you're the senior editor of what now? It is amazing. But I, yeah, that one's, a, I mean, you would love it, especially because there's so much great technology in there. Like there's always there's always just some new code to be broken or some new program to be used or some oh, blog to be hacked. It's It's got, but it's not so geeky that people that are listening that might have an aversion to like super technology, like they're not reading Mashable in their spare time. Well, it, <laughs> even still, it, it's it's just, it's great. I've been reading it outside every afternoon this week oh, and it's just oh, been a so great nice. escape. I think it's also it also addresses that concept of what magic is and, you know, youth and imagination and how much you lose when you do grow up. But how to still kind of keep that magic in your life, even if you are in the real world. Yeah. In a really cool celebratory way, too. Yeah. And balancing that magic with, you know, he I am again, I don't want to give any of it away. But at some point in the adventure, he realizes that, you know, all that all that they seek that might not be there but that doesn't lessen the adventure or exactly. the magic that they're looking for because 
everyone has their own level of adventure and magic and things that they seek, and it's it's just great. Um, and so I'm almost done with that, but I'm not done with it yet. I'll probably finish it this afternoon. <laughs> you better. Um, but the other book that I'm juggling at the same time is my third selection, which is, as always, Julia, the letters of Julia Child and Avis DeVoto. Oh, and fun. the editor on that one is Joan Reardon. And uh, I love to cook, but I also love to read about cooking. I read a lot of food blogs. I subscribe to Bon Appetit. I just I read cookbooks. Um, it's just like the anti-journalism for me. So I, I just love it. First of all, for those of you that don't know, Julia Child, when she lived in Paris, um, I, I believe her husband read the article first, but she, regardless, she read this article, I believe it was in Harper's Bazaar, about knives. And she was just so smitten with this article that she wrote the author, which was Avis DeVoto's husband. He was like a very big columnist and wrote this long piece about how we live in Paris and how these are the knives and, you know, you, this piece is wonderful and yada, yada, yada. And Avis, his wife, writes back. And so begins this long friendship through letters, which if you've seen Julia and Julia, they eventually meet. But Avis also becomes this huge influence on Julia Child's cookbook. And so the letters not just don't just chronicle their, their friendship, but they chronicle her first cookbook. They chronicle McCarthyism, which I love reading about for some reason. <laughs> Whoa. Yep, I was a history major. I think I mentioned that before. <laughs> um, I, they also talk about food in general. They go in depth about mayonnaise recipes. And I'm only <laughs> a, a little bit, like, eh, maybe 40 or 80. No, I'm like 80 pages in. But it's just so compelling. And I just love it. I would recommend it to anyone. That's really neat. I bet the nature of female relationships, too, would be an interesting aspect of the story. Yeah, certainly. Especially when you think about how they never had met. Yeah, that's nuts to me. But I feel like a lot of people corresponded like that. Right. But would I just, they're so, I mean, these letters are just, they're so detailed and they contain a lot of emotion for two people who have never seen each other face to face when they started writing. It just is like these women, they click. You know when you just find people that you just click with, but you know it because you see them and you interact with them. Right. And then, you know, maybe your interaction continues on the internet, but you, you feel that connection beforehand. And they must have just felt that reading handwritten sentences. And that just, to me, is just so wonderful. Thanks again to Lauren Chuljan. And make sure you check out her Year 25 series. She did a bunch of interviews with notable people about what they were doing at 25. Which is how old she is now. Only Lauren could nerd out about being 25. It's really great. Yeah, there's Frontera chef Rick Bayless, Illinois representative Tammy Duckworth, and a whole slew of interesting people. We've posted a link to her Year 25 series on our website. All right, should we do cocktails before homework? Of course. Nerdette contributor Rebecca Polson was inspired by our urban foraging conversation to create a cocktail built with ingredients you can pluck from the great outdoors. She promises it won't involve any real rocks or dirt. So the cocktail we're making today is called the Bramble. It's kind of a funny drink because it was invented in the 1980s by a British bartender. And over there it kind of has a reputation as like the British Cosmo because it's really light and juicy and it's great if you want to have a drink but not really taste the alcohol too much. But I think it's a great foraging cocktail because while it's traditionally made with blackberries, you can use raspberries, you can use like, it's great with like really, really ripe, juicy, like tart cherries, any of the really wonderful, sweet and juicy summer fruits that you find this time of year. And if you don't have gin, you can just sub in rum and it's a rumble. 
So first what we're going to do is we're going to take four blackberries and put them in your shaking tin and you're going to muddle them. And while usually I muddle pretty, pretty lightly, this cocktail is really about the fruit flavors. It's not about the booze and you can muddle pretty hard and really let the berries get kind of jammy. Then we're going to add three quarters of an ounce of simple syrup and then we're going to add three quarters of lemon juice and two ounces of gin. You can really use whatever kind of gin you want here. I personally like to use Plymouth because that's what I always like to have around for other things. Then you're going to fill your shaker about three quarters of the way with ice and you're going to shake it really, really hard. Let your drink get like really slushy and juicy and it's going to be like super refreshing for a hot day like today. And then you're not even going to strain it. You're just going to pour it straight into your rocks glass and you're just gonna drink your cocktail right on the ice that you shook it with. So it's just a, a fantastic low maintenance drink that's really super yummy and refreshing for a hot summer's day. Thanks to Rebecca, our Brooklyn-based booze nerd. Now it's time for homework. Trisha, what do you have on our syllabus today? So here's the thing. Jim DeRogatis, host of Sound Opinions and WBEZ music blogger, wanted to interview the folks at Pitchfork Music Festival about why they booked R. Kelly as their headliner this year. This guy? I believe I can fly. Right, that guy. Who is probably a musical genius, but also has a very complicated history that includes a string of well-documented relationships with underage girls and subsequent legal trouble. Most of the girls were in Chicago, where he's from, and some of them live just a couple of miles from Union Park, where he'll perform at Pitchfork. Yikes. Exactly. And Jim DeRogatis couldn't get Pitchfork to have a conversation with him about R. Kelly. So he had a series of conversations with other smart people instead, critics, academics, Kelly fans, psychologists. So what did he ask them? Well, the conversations center around a couple of big questions. Can we separate the art from the artist? Should we? And what if the misdeeds are a part of the appeal of the art? What's the responsibility of the consumer then? And if that sounds a little dry, I promise it's not. The conversations are all done via Google Hangout. And these people are super smart, but it sounds like you're talking with them about this over beers, not in a lecture hall. That sounds really cool. So check out the whole project at wbez.org backslash Kelly Convo. What's your homework, Greta? My homework is for you guys to read the book Feed by M.T. Anderson. This is the book Megan Murphy-Gill recommended to us, right? Yes, and if you haven't heard her stepmother Maria try to convince Megan to watch Game of Thrones, you need to go listen to that, too. That isn't extra credit. It's required. It's from our July 1st episode. So Megan read an excerpt of Feed for a young adult literature writing class and liked it so much she read the whole book. She convinced me to read it, too, and I devoured it. It's a quick read, just takes a few hours, but it'll definitely make you think about the role of technology in our lives and how its pervasiveness is both empowering and debilitating. Trisha, I'd loan you my copy, but my mom already took it. That's okay. It'll give me an excuse to go to the library, which is my favorite place. In part because it has air conditioning and my apartment does not, but also because libraries are the best. You can find links to your homework and assign us some at nerdatpodcast.com. That's it for today. Thanks again to Eden Robbins, Rebecca Polson, and Lauren Chuligen. BJ Lederman did not compose our theme. And we can deal with that for now. This is Poddington Bear. Do your homework. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen 
as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.